0: You have accessed Entry 1394.GE4130, Certificate Number 24180. The Video Game Crash of 1983.
1: Can you believe we haven't done a
0: video game show? Uh, yeah, we have done almost five hundred entries in the omnibus, and none are about what is probably the, what the most largest and most profitable entertainment sector in the world today. Right. I think video games outearn like movie, TVs, and music combined, and drugs. Drugs probably outearns all of four of those combined, <laughs> including <laughs> video games. I'm I'm counting video games in the drugs.
1: Yes, right. Video games are a drug, opiate for the masses, baby. I am uh, the video game generation, as hard as it may be for people to believe, because I'm such a rough-and-tumble old-school curmudgeon, raised in a log cabin, wrestling bears. In fact, you occasionally, you'd have to put
0: down your joystick to wrestle the bears. It's true.
1: It's true. I was the I was the target audience, right? 1978, I was 10 years old, and uh, they were trying to... I mean, the whole video game industry was Just directed. Trying, trying to make you yell at your parents. That's right. To get you a console for Christmas. Pointing directly at me. Don't you want to play Pong? Don't you want to play Space Invaders? Look, and I did. Look, mom, did you see this ad in Newsweek? Well, I was kind of in an interesting situation because my dad was a very early video game franchisee. Like he owned an arcade? My dad somehow, and I wish he was live today because I have a lot of questions that I didn't get answered. When my dad died, I said, you know what? We covered everything. Like I have no regrets. There's nothing that I'm ever going to want to ask my dad that I hadn't already figured out. And then of course I had a kid three years later and I was like, I have so many questions that I couldn't have known that I needed the answer to. But now here it is. He, you know, he died 15 years ago and I never figured out what his deal was with Pong. <laughs> but my, <laughs> that's dad, the main thing you would ask. Yeah, my this dad, is your version of cats in the cradle. In 1973, three got the contract to put Pong, uh, tabletop versions of Pong in the bars on the air force base, I remember those
0: right. And the, the army bases in Korea had these in the pizza in the pizza joint. Yep, there would be one of these table booths where you could play Defender or something.
1: Yeah, and and uh, you know they had a, like a they looked like a cocktail table. They had a, a smoked glass top, yep, and a coin thing in the side, and you could you know put in your quarter and then yeah you, you could play pong. And, standing up's a bummer. Standing up's such a bummer. Although my dad then also had. Uh like Air War, which was a kind of biplane combat game that had stand up consoles. He had some stand up palms.
0: I'm kind of surprised more sit down gaming has not did not ever take off. Given that, you know, Vegas puts chairs in front of slot machines. Yeah. Because it's easier to get, you know. Old people addicted to something stupid. Nah, it's pretty easy to get young people addicted to something stupid.
1: Too. And I remember in the arcades there being a certain number of stools that you could kind of scoot over yeah. if you if you wanted. Always more games and people than stools, though. I remember playing Ms. Pac-Man at least as often in a tabletop console as in a stand-up one. I thought you were going to say
0: you played Ms. Pac-Man more than Pac-Man well, because you're such a good feminist. Ms.
1: Pac-Man's a pretty good game. Better game. Um, but we then by 1977, 78 had probably two dozen tabletop pong games and stand up, uh, air war consoles in our garage. Basically to get in the garage, you open the door and you had to walk around, skirt this like enormous cluster of these pong games that are huge pieces of furniture. And they were there until the mid '80s. And these
0: are ones that had never gone into the. No, nope.
1: they had gone in. They'd spent their lives. A lot of them. And they when, were. When I was a kid, like I found the keys, the master key to open the the coin boxes. Some of them were still still had big, big uh, containers full of quarters, like that. I. I, you know, I would find like... Who was supposed to take those out? Not your dad. Uh, yeah. Base personnel. Yeah, or whoever it was that was running the business for him. And what's crazy is that my dad did this all the time. He had these little schemes. Somehow he was Mr. Pong in 75 and didn't translate that into a life of organized crime and... and That you know of. Yeah, the, he could have been the video game guy.
0: I always wish I had some kind of George Costanza's dad dad who always had a hustle yeah my dad was not willie Loman. well except my, that he had a briefcase and didn't like his job my
1: dad was terrible at the hustle somehow he turned this into a liability like we were schlepping these things around and i bet you now uh in today's market a tabletop pong game uh it's very hard to find them for sale anywhere there's a stand-up version of pong here for $8,000 just for an arcade just for an arcade one you can get uh, on this website i'm looking at vintagearcade.net you can get an asteroids for 3100
0: game and, game room goodies has a co- atari pong cocktail table arcade game oh that that would probably be it for 6 or 7000
1: yeah so i mean i guess i wouldn't be putting myself through college again by having a dozen of these but is this the main thing keeping you from college not yeah. having enough pong tables not having enough because uh, back then you could this is the thing that that uh, young people today don't realize you could you could pay for college with a just a single pong table yeah you could just yeah, you know ship a pong table put a, put a pong table on a uh, on a dolly and there's your college if Biden doesn't forgive
0: student loans he should at least send a Pong cocktail table mm-hmm. to every uh, community college student in America.
1: I have to imagine that there are tech billionaires down in San Francisco who have tabletop Pong games in their super cool lofts that they that they take the Google bus back and forth from.
0: Shouldn't all those games be really cheap now? There's, there, there had to have been more arcades unloading old games than there are man-children decorating lofts.
1: Well, like mid-century modern houses... They had to go through a period of 40 years where nobody cared about them. So they all got thrown away. Yeah, they all got thrown away. And I, whatever mm. happened to the ones that were in my dad's garage, I don't know. I think I came back from college one day and they were all gone. Maybe that's how my college was paid for. Probably. Uh but but um I was there. I was there, man. I was in the I was deep in the shit. You're a gamer. I was there from the from the very beginning. From the uh From, I mean, I think I went to the first arcade in Anchorage within the first week of it opening. And I remember when they put arcade games in the lobby of the movie theater and you'd go and just stand in the lobby of the movie theater, not even wanting to see a movie. Raiders of the Lost Ark would be playing right behind you, but all you cared about was Centipede. And I remember it being on the cover of Time Magazine and feeling like it was the first time that Time Magazine had done a story that was about me, like not just uh, relevant to me, but like about me. I'm the person of the year. I am centipede. Look at me. I'm I'm the face reflected back <laughs> in the in the screen of Pac Man. But um, but of course, video games have a uh, have a history that goes back a little bit before my era, right? I mean, I was there for the explosion of them. But they really originate a little bit earlier in uh, in ancient the early nineteenth century. That's right, in ancient Sumeria.
0: Centipedes on cuneiform tablets. Mm-hmm. You had to you had to move the asteroid yourself <laughs> across the table on little tiles, and hyperspace had not yet been invented. Yeah,
1: Frogger was played with real frogs <laughs> and real logs. They didn't have cars back then, of course. <laughs> What was the first video game if not Pong? It was Pong or yeah. or Pong was the first widely underst- you know widely known video game. It
0: just game. wasn't built into bar furniture the very first time. Although that would be funny. Imagine if all great inventions were in bar furniture the first time. Like the very first light bulb is Edison being like, "You know what would really make this uh, jukebox a lot better."
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is putting a fishing rod in it. <laughs> uh, we've talked a little bit I think about pinball. And it's, um, and the fact that pinball was illegal in the United States for many decades, um, although this may be just me misremembering our show and conflating it with the recent Paul Thomas Anderson movie, Licorice Pizza. pizza.
0: No, I think we talked about pinball. What what were the justifications? Was there some Harold Hill-like character going from town to town in California reminding them that? that their kids were going to fall into moral turptitude and... Turptitude? If, if they started reading Captain Billy's Whiz Bang and
1: played pinball? Well, two things. One, pinball was a game that, uh, at least in the early days, you know, the original pinball didn't have paddles. Yeah, you just watched the ball. And so it was a, it was a thing that had too G-gaming. much element of chance. Yeah, gaming. And particularly when there were prizes associated with winning pinball even though that prize often was just another game a free game it was seen as a form of gambling and the mafia really did get into the pinball business because the coins couldn't really be traced and the mafia used it they were it, just laundering yeah money. as a, as a money laundering game and then they realized that pinball was so popular that it actually was kind of earning money at the scale of drugs.
0: So, in The Godfather, when they're refusing to get into heroin,
1: they were in pinball. They're, for really, sure. they're really just putting yeah. all their money in. My pinball. son speaks when he should listen and it, get it when take us into pinball.
0: It's a pinball company pretending yeah. to be an olive oil company.
1: Yeah. Uh, so pinball was like LaGuardia when he was mayor was super uh, crusader against pinball and pinball was seen as a mafia kind of uh front and be- and got this terrible reputation as a as a uh, corruptor of children and it wasn't legal in california until 1976 yeah what's licorice pizza time for yeah here. So, uh, to celebrate the bicentennial, it was like, you know what, let's bring back uh, the USS Constitution and pinball. There's something for everyone. Some people will like the tall ships,
0: some people will want to play. Did they have pinball games based on like 70s entertainment, like they do yeah. today? Yeah. Like, could you go Kiss. play one fly, the, <laughs> one fly over the cuckoo's nest? Uh, uh, pinball or, uh, were all in the family pinball.
1: I remember the rock band pinballs, the goodbye, yellow brick road, pinball and kiss alive. Uh, and then there were the one, you know, there were the older ones that were just about, I don't know what Superman, who knows what those early pinball games were about. They, they were, were about, just about, they're about color. Yeah. They're this ding, pinball ding, is ding, about ding, the color ding. blue. Uh, but the. The video game thing really came out of California. It was uh it was an early Silicon Valley product and a lot of it came out of uh like old world media companies and I don't mean media like uh television or newspaper. I mean media like magnetic tape as made for recording you know, old Bing Crosby records. Bing Crosby's gonna die soon. We're gonna need something else on this tape. How about Centipedes? <laughs> so, two of the major companies that were responsible for developing video games as a form of entertainment were Magnavox, mm-hmm. who made television sets, and Atari. And what was Atari making before they were making Pong? Well, Atari was a company that came out of Ampex which was a female hygiene? No, that's Tampex. Ampex or Tampax. Uh Ampex was a tape manufacturer and they made uh, recording tape until I mean the first two long winters records were made on Ampex tape.
0: I've seen I've seen the Ampex tape on reel to reel yep. in my previous life as a uh like a drama tech nerd. A, what's that called? The AV squad. The
1: AV squad.
0: That's did, who you were. Did uh I love when these Japanese companies start out just doing something totally different. Yeah, yeah. They We, we made uh, guitar picks in the 1890s. Right. Today uh, we make uh, everything from dock loading equipment to pickup trucks.
1: Yeah, guitars and, and motorcycles. Right. Atari, which I always assumed was a Japanese company, was not oh, one. Oh, wait. It's not? It's <laughs> not. But they they look like Mount Fuji. Well, they they do. But Atari was started by uh, two guys, two American dudes, who were working for Ampex in California. And um, one of the guys, a guy by the name of Nolan K. Bushnell. He's the only one I know. I don't know who the other guy is. And you do know Nolan K. Sure. How do you know Nolan K. Bushnell? Just for his... uh...
0: His Atari-ness. But I guess I thought it was some kind of subsidiary of a Japanese conglomerate or something.
1: So, Nolan K. Bushnell— He's just uh, a—what do you call it? A a weeaboo. He's a a little bit. uh, There is a weeaboo angle here. Nolan K. Bushnell, actually uh, an LDS churchgoer. Oh, really? Yeah. He went to the
0: University of Utah. I guess that makes sense because he's a Chuck E. Cheese guy. That's right. And U of U was was actually a very early computer and computer graphics kind of powerhouse, I Mm -hmm. think.
1: Nolan uh, Bushnell was kind of a guy that oh, had a... We're going to be talking about computers, which oh means we have boy. to put up with this. Yeah, we What got are it. we going to call computers in this? Uh, I don't know. Can Do, we just say computer and just let... What's your work address, John? What's my work address? What is she... Is she going to show up at your office? Shush. She sent me a notification to my Alexa app, but it's not to me. It's to my daughter's mother, and she's upstairs right now. I hope she gets 100 of these during this show. She's on a job interview. Oh, is that right? See, this is why we never do video games on this show. Um, Nolan K. Bushnell was a guy that had a lot of big ideas, and he's working at Ampex, and his first idea was for Chuck E. Cheese. He had the idea of opening an arcade pizza parlor. I'm going to sell magnetic tape to mice <laughs> playing the guitar. So he's sitting at work doing whatever, you know, coming up with magnetic tape and – or doing – I'm sure he was just pushing pencils around. And he's sitting there talking to his coworkers like, one day, man, I'm going to open up a pizza parlor <laughs> arcade that's going to have like pinball games and, and you know uh, – cool, whatever ball toss things big robot rodents so he had a co-worker whose name was ted dabney and the two of them decide that they're going to uh they're going to quit working at ampex and they're going to start their own company uh, called atari and they name atari because they're both fans of playing go i knew it and atari is the word that you use in go to say uh, check it's a go term it's a go term and so they so this is the weeaboo angle they're like oh man japanese well, and, we love playing go and the logo is mount fuji they must have been yeah. admiring of uh, the eastern asian aspect. so you know so they do this it's just like naming uh well i don't know an equivalent what it, what is an equivalent to this today yeah where you, where somebody would...
0: We could name our podcast... Uh, uh, um, Futahari. Hunter Hunter. Mm. Or I don't know. Uh, hentai, hentai Show. Yeah. yeah. Remember when we were going to call Omnibus Hentai <laughs> Show? And then people explained to us, you know, you, they're going to get disappointed um, when you guys <laughs> just talk about starlings the whole time.
1: <laughs> anyway, so Bushnell and, uh, and Dabney start Atari and... They're very influenced by this game that's being developed at Magnavox called the Magnavox Odyssey, and Magnavox is working on a on an, an initial sort of console game as a way of selling televisions. Their idea being, you know, if we had this little outboard console that we could hook up to TVs, it could be kind of a like a fun little maybe lost leader. Get pe- because Magnavox at the time had brick-and-mortar dealerships. Yeah, where, sure. Where you would go in to the Magnavox store and and buy... And some oily guy walks yeah. you through the year the year's new TV models. Exactly, and buy, you know, because televisions and, and record players and whatnot were, were big pieces of furniture. You're going to want the undercoating. You know what? And you're going to want it to match your bed, and you're going to want it to match all the latest, you know, latest styles. But Magnavox gave a demonstration of their upcoming odyssey game console and bushnell went to went to it and played what was their early version of pong which was a super basically pong was um a game where the console was capable of putting a white line down the middle of a the screen that was one of its
0: a thing you could do with a roll of masking tape (laughs) but but go on
1: abilities (laughs) and then you could have uh Two things user controlled the paddles, the little paddles, and then right. the computer could also manage to have a ball go back and forth. And, and, it's, so, got, and it's
0: got, to, to be fair, it's got to compute the angle at which the ball bounces. Well, actually,
1: that came later. Oh, it can't so, do that. So the Magnavox game was just you get pong, to watch paddles. Move? Pong, you move, you move the paddles because it had a controller, and you could, and you would just send the ball back and forth.
0: And the ball would go, what, straight across? Straight. Well, yeah, Th- you'd hit were, it and it would go... There would
1: not be some angle of incidence? No, I think it went straight across and then you would move your thing over to there. I mean, it had to have some kind of way of, uh, of right. going at an angle, but... Maybe it just didn't have the thing where... I believe in many iterations of that game, actually, the direction and the speed you're going affects the You can put ball. spin on it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, it probably didn't happen. Um, and, and Magnavox had a had a couple of other kind of cool things they were working on. It was the first game that had a light gun component. There was a gun that you could point at the, scre- at the screen of the TV. That early. And it would register the light of the ball. You'd think of that as being a later innovation. Right. And I think it was a big selling point. The light gun really read as, I mean, the whole thing was cool looking. And actually the Magnavox Odyssey was very 2001, a space Odyssey looking. It was It was. Pretty fresh.
0: Well, in hindsight, think what a new idea this was. Like, it had only been 20 years since your parents first got a TV in the living room at all. You know, that's the difference between today and the invention of Google. And it was now... It's the first thing it can do on it that's not just... Show you people in a studio somewhere else. And
1: it's interactive yes. in a way that everybody always wanted the TV to be interactive. You're sitting and yelling at, at uh, Ricky Ricardo on the TV. And this is maybe the first inst- instance where Ricky Ricardo, in the form of a white ball, would, would, it's a would, problematic. <laughs> would reply shouldn't, to you. Shouldn't he be a Cuban ball? Yeah, but TVs were, a lot of them were black and white.
0: This and is a dystopian uh, element in um, Fahrenheit 451 that everybody wants to watch their shows but the shows will, like, leave moments for you to talk back, Uh you know? Yeah. Um, And I guess the movies were starting to experiment with this a little bit. There were The occasional gimmicky movie would have uh, multiple endings. Yeah, multiple endings or something like that. Um, So the idea that, you know, you would be part of the action, we had already thought of as, you know, part of our doomed future. And now here comes Nolan Bushnell, (laughs)
1: because you can't get funding for... Well, so Magnavox actually had... uh there were overlays to some of their games because this Pong technology, the two paddles and the one ball with a line down the middle, they made several games out of it. And Um, you would would put something
0: on the screen?
1: You'd actually put an overlay on the screen. color forms. And it would be, you know, and it would turn the game into like a ski game or some other like- It's still the same game basically, right? But now now you can see a mountain. But you would do, you know, they kind of did different things with it and it's like, can you get down the hill without crashing? Uh, but they also also the Magnavox game came with uh, other components, like a board that you would put poker chips on, and you could play the game as a component of other games you were playing in Meat Space. Bushnell saw this and thought it was really cool. And as they were putting Atari together, they hired another guy from Ampex by the name of Al Alcorn, and Al was an actual. You know, programmer, proto-programmer, and said, hey, you know, Bushnell kind of explained, Al had not seen the Magnavox demo, so Bushnell kind of explained what he wanted, like, hey, just as a, just as like an exercise, as a kind of, as a, a little bit of just a training session, why don't you design a game that's like a tennis game, um, and we'll just, you know, we'll just see how, what you come up with. Did and Alcorn not even know had he
0: not even seen Magnavoxes? Hadn't attempts?
1: seen Magnavoxes and didn't know about it. Bushnell just kind of, you know, passed it off as his own idea. But Alcorn did kind of went above and beyond the Call of Duty. He and Call of Duty is, is he, much later. He didn't do Call he of Duty. He didn't invent Call of Duty. <laughs> he invented Grand Theft Auto V, confusingly. But he had more, you know, he had uh he had, I guess, access to uh, you know, whatever, a slightly more RAM. And he made the paddle so that it had several zones, right? The inside zone would send the ball straight back. The outside zones would send it back at at various angles. And then he, his other innovation was he made the ball increase in speed as the game went on. And then I think because of just a snafu, his paddles couldn't go all the way to the top or bottom edge and rather than try and solve the problem he just left it in as a
0: it, is that how pong works you can try to hit the place where the ball is not returnable it can't get all the way there's an ace spot if you can if you can get the ball there
1: because he you know because it, it makes the it makes the game more challenging and he figured well you know you don't want to just play this game endlessly you want it to have a way you know just like like later games like there are there are places in galaga where you're just going to die there's no there's nothing you can do it's a good it's a good uh lesson for life so he presents this to to bushnell and dabney and they realize oh this is a this is a sellable game um and they went down to they they they, uh and and oh and al was the first one to actually put the console in a he built a box for it he built a stand-up Box with controllers and has a screen. And with the screen Magnavox inside, Magnavox was
0: like, "You'll plug this up to your screen." Well, this wasn't this so right, right? But the original Magnavox idea was,
1: "You use your preexisting. You screen. use your television, right? This was a this was a box, and they took it down to a local tavern called Andy Cap's Tavern, and they put the they put the box in the bar, kind of next to some illegal pinball games, and said, you know, let's see how it works. And I think the famous story that probably a lot of people have heard is that the the game wasn't working after a couple of days and Al went down to see if he could fix it and he realized the reason it wasn't working is the coin box was overflowing. Uh, they had no way of, you know, they they couldn't believe. Vince that's the kind of corporate that. origin story that is rarely true, but I, I still choose to believe. I know, isn't that fun? Um, Well, so Magnavox had showed their... uh. Their demo a long time before the thing was actually ready to sell, and it debuted as a as a product in September of 72, and Atari came out with their pong in November of 72. Oh, so Magnavox
0: did beat them to market, but only by a couple months.
1: Only by just the barest uh the barest edge. Mm-hmm. Um but the Magnavox had some Cool elements. I mean, one of them being the light gun. But the problem with the Magnavox was that at first they only sold them through Magnavox dealerships, and they where kids love to hang out. Yeah, like come on by the dealership and hot dogs and balloons for the kiddies. And they left the advertising of the of the console to local dealers. There wasn't a national. Campaign. And this always
0: happens with new innovative product. The local dealers don't know how to sell it because they're just middle-aged guys who know how to sell the thing from 15 years ago.
1: Right. Is that what happened here? Yes. And so the, the console kind of underperformed, uh, a lot, and a lot of dealers used it as a television uh, sales <laughs> technique, including saying or implying that it would only work on Magnavox television. Mm. So if you want this, you got to buy the new uh, and and I think the following year they realized we need to explicitly kind of start selling this as a as a real standalone thing and make it clear to people it'll work on their other TVs. The Magnavox console did take off, um, and the Atari console also, you know, selling Great Gangbusters. People really uh, they dug the Pong game, and the few other games that were kind of in the family of pong and they started to, uh, they started to kind of be, they were at first a novelty. Atari got their original console put in the Sears catalog in 1975. Mm. So it became a thing that, you know, you would want, you'd want to get your kid for Christmas.
0: Did uh, Atari Magnavox ever, uh, have any kind of IP disputes over the, their similar parallel origins or not?
1: Well, not only did they, but, um, the The idea of Pong was immediately copied by uh, by a hundred different companies, right? Or not a yeah. hundred, but like there were there were several Pong games kind of flooding the market.
0: I mean, today it would be clear that that would not be protectable. You know, you've seen a computer, you've seen tennis. You can't just say I made the first computer tennis game. But at the time, it might seem like very original
1: IP. It was, and uh, and Magnavox, although their console. I mean, it sold well, but Magnavox did not keep on top of innovations in video games. Like, they kind of got bullied out of the market, and, and by bad business decisions. They're trying to still sell uh, console record players and didn't really – I mean, we'll see in a minute. Like, they stayed in the game a little while. This is why there's no Magnavox section at GameStop today. Right um but what they were successful in doing was suing atari and other video game companies for property I- infringement and w- what they copyrighted was the idea of a ball going back and forth between two paddles controlled by pa- you know by controllers on the, your tv they got a patent they did. on 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 paddle balls and they uh <laughs> they sued Several different companies, Atari ended up getting a license from, from Magnavox for a million and to make them go away. some dollars. But I think Magnavox ended up making a hundred million dollars from various video game companies just for, by enforcing their IP. So in that sense. The first patent troll. <laughs> uh, Pong and Atari kind of blew up as evidenced by my father being in the, uh, in the Pong game at such an early time and Bushnell, uh, kind of forced Dabney out as, as the company grew. Bushnell was the guy, was the, was the Zuckerberg who kept rewriting the contract and Dabney wasn't, you know, it was sort of Dabney who was the original tech person, whereas Bushnell was the big idea guy. Just like Andrew Garfield? Yes. And Dabney got r- written out, and the, the intellectual property of that company, Dabney's name wasn't on it. And eventually, he left the company and sold his stake in it for not very much mm. money uh, and ended up... Running a deli and wow. living out in you know California, his house burned down in a f- in one of those forest fires in the 2015s. He's still alive. Uh, he he died uh, in 2018.
0: Hmm. By the way, Bushnell is a lapsed Mormon at this point, so his 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 mean business persona, I cannot take any theological responsibility for.
1: Well, yeah. As soon as he got into Chuck E. Cheese, I mean, think about how. As soon as he get in a
0: hot tub with. Uh... With so many beautiful ladies. Yeah,
1: that's not compatible with Marxism, nor is it compatible no. with LDS. We should get shirts that say compatible with Mormonism <laughs> as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which of our
1: topics have been compatible with Mormonism? Boy, I think it's not that many, Maybe right?
0: Maybe the Oneida um, cult. I don't yeah, know.
1: Although, I mean, you made, you made a kind of, you made like a, a skew reference in it that maybe would get you in trouble.
0: Didn't we? Uh, we've probably, I mean, we've done hardly any shows about alcohol, so that's nice.
1: And when we do do shows about alcohol, we come out against it. <laughs> right. Uh, this is a dry podcast. That's why we're here in dry King County, Seattle. So Bushnell, in uh, in designing the Atari 2600, which was originally called the Video Computer System or something like that, and yeah, eventually we call it the, 20C, uh, the 2600, he ended up selling Atari to, to Warner Communications in 76 in order to get the funding. And uh, Warner installed a new guy as CEO, and Bushnell was out of Atari by 78 because uh, he was chasing those, those big Chuck E. Cheese dollars. Oh, man. He just, he saw, one time he
0: saw a mouse in his kitchen, his eyeballs
1: just turned Bam. into dollar signs. He's like, if that mouse was playing a guitar right now. He was like, when is a mouse when it spins? <laughs> Where's my pizza? Uh so there's a huge there's a recognition that I mean a lot of companies got into uh building pong and there was a kind of flood of uh of consoles and and pong imitators into the market such that in 1977 there was a glut of companies making you know less effective and not a, you know, and kind of garbage consoles.
0: It's funny, there's this century changing tech, and everyone is like, we can use this to make a tennis game. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. everyone thinks that is the one application of this technology. <laughs> it's just to do like ping pong. Ping pong. I mean, it's when Thomas Edison invented the gramophone, I think famously, like music was like very low on the list of things he thought it could be used for. He thought it would be like uh, listening to lectures or something.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, and that's kind of what happened at first here. Um and so in 1977 there was actually a kind of video game crash uh, all of the pong games that pong you could, likes. yeah that you could sell at christmas time had been sold and the consoles didn't really do as much as as was promised and there was kind of on the horizon the sort of home computer which I mean when did the apple 2e come out Sort of 70. Mm, I was going to say around 80 or 81.
0: Does it start with 70? Apple 2e. I mean, the the 2 is going to be late 70s. The 2e is 83.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. So Apple 2s weren't quite... I remember, when did I see my first Apple 2? The
0: Apple Apple, 2 is 77. The Apple 2... Plus is around 79,
1: I think. Yeah, I think I I think Apple II Plus was probably the first one I saw. We were playing Oregon Trail on that by 81 <laughs> at my junior high.
0: I had a very exciting moment going to the mail the other day. Oh what John, happened? I got sent some amazing new products from native. I got some too. Were yours like were yours flavors
1: that had cupcake in the name? I have been using their mint cookie cupcake body wash, or maybe it's mint cupcake cookie body wash. Two different baked goods in my body wash: cookie and cupcake.
0: Because I did, before I had this, I would have to stand in the shower and just rub cookies and cupcakes all over my body, and it wasn't helping. I had got I got a lot of ants on me.
1: Well, I had two. I had two things go on when I opened it. I was like, "Is this going to? How is this going to be cookie and cupcake?" and when i smelled it it was both cookie and cupcake and then of course i thought why would i want that in my soap but then it turned out i really like it
0: i also got some fresh peach cupcake i think it was deodorant i can't remember which was which and it really does smell like a fresh peach cupcake
1: <laughs> if that's a
0: thing so like the hard part is just like making sure you you rub it on your underarms and not, right. and not just eat the whole thing
1: in one sitting well so this body wash uh it's a it's a, a large bottle and I've been using it every day and uh it tingles in a refreshing minty way but the cupcake and cookie thing it goes so naturally with my normal sort of cupcake scent that um it's a it's a, a pleasure to have with me all day long it's
0: a collaboration with a tiny cupcake bakery called baked by melissa
1: okay. these are like
0: based on the Delicious creations of that uh, company's founder, Melissa Ben Ishe, mixed with Natives, we've plugged these before, simple but effective formulations to surprise and delight consumers with every wash and swipe. When I wash and I swipe, Mm -hmm. I like to be delighted every single time. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, Native delivers. Other brands, it might be every three times, every six times even. Not native. You know what a drag it is to swipe and not be delighted. Oh, it's the worst. So you,
1: you just keep swiping, hoping to feel something. Yeah. Feel something. <laughs> I used to feel something when I swiped. So the native Baked by Melissa collection has four separate scents available in deodorant body wash and shampoo and conditioner
0: and they still have the same guarantees you come to expect from native it's aluminum free vegan and cruelty free the ingredients are naturally derived you'll recognize everything on the
1: label if that matters to you the limited edition scents are tie-dye vanilla cupcake mint cookie cupcake that solves that question fresh peach cupcake and Ginger Lemonade Cupcake.
0: Mm, smell and feel fresh all day long with Native. And you'll get 20% off your first order by going to do.com slash omnibus or use promo code omnibus at checkout.
1: That's nativedo.com slash omnibus or use promo code omnibus at checkout for 20% off your first order. Delight in every swipe. Uh, so... Out of the kind of ashes of of the video game crash of 77 came came the Atari 2600. And the 2600 had a lot, it could do a lot more. There were a lot more games. It would take a cartridge. It would take so a So it was an expandable system. And there were a lot of other companies kind of trying to get into the act at the same time. Um, Mattel, which we know now is the second largest... Toy company in the world after Lego Enterprises or whatever. Oh, is that it is. true? Yeah, Mattel sells everything. Uh, they bought up a lot of their rivals. They did. They sell the Barbies. They got them. They got it all. Uh, but also a company called Coleco, which you may recall, one of the things and the Connecticut the, Leather Company. How did you know that?
0: Uh, it's, uh, it's funny, right? It's yeah. like it's like the you know playing card company that turns into Nintendo.
1: Yeah, Coleco is uh, short for Connecticut Leather. They were in the, the di- business of selling like leather punches and and uh to daddies, yeah all the well no. all the tooling to make uh to make your cowboy uh oh they holsters. were make, they were selling machinery, not actual well no they were selling like home kits for people to do leather leather stuff they were Ma- selling spirograph
0: to <laughs> to to leather daddies
1: i i love it they were they made uh they made shoes in world war one. They were famous for their rubber shoe soles uh, for a while. Rubber? Yeah, they got into rubber. Did they change their name to Karuko? No, they were still Coleco. At one point, they had had cornered the market on above-ground swimming pools in the United States.
0: (laughs) Uh, That's just a license to print money. Remember when Michael Corleone (laughs) wants to get them into above-ground swimming
1: pools Uh and the Don won't go for it? They – they were in snowmobiles. I mean, they were they were one of those companies that, in huh. the '60s, became like Gulf and Western, a, a, a like a major sort of conglomerate that was that had a little bit into everything. And Gulf and Western figures in in a second. Uh, but then in 1976, they got in on the Pong thing and had a and and developed a video game console called the Telstar. They were part of the big Pong crash of 77, but because they were a diversified company, they were able to to weather it. But kind of one of the most interesting things about the Atari resurgence was that there uh, there were a few people working at Atari who were designing video games, and Atari was now a subsidiary of Warner, and the video game designers became dissatisfied with the way they were being treated by Warner because Warner just was paying them a salary and not giving them any residuals on the games they designed. So it's work for hire. Yeah. And they felt like, well, wait a minute, everybody else in media that's working for Warner is being paid according to their success. Their musical artists and their producers and their actors. Right. Got it. So they, uh, they punched out of Atari and started a, a group of game designers and started their own company called Activision. Activision. And Activision started making games for Atari.
0: And the funny thing is you could immediately see that Activision games were better.
1: Like mm-hmm. the worst
0: Activision game was maybe better than the best Atari game. And it was almost like they'd figure out, out things to do with, with the ROM that, that the Atari engineers had not figured out. Because you know you, you were obviously very limited in what you could do with those games because they had such a tiny little bit of memory available to you. I don't, you know, the equivalent of of two K today or something, right? And and yet these Activision games were little miracles. You know, better graphics and more involving and more complicated. You know, it wasn't just artistic decisions of you know what what the player finds more addictive. Like it seemed like technically they were somehow pushing the console. And I guess I I had never known that they were disgruntled. Atari
1: types who weren't let do good work. Yeah. And Atari actually sued them saying, you can't do this. You know, this was the first, uh, the first example I think of software.
0: Cause they hadn't bought a license. They were just like, we know, you know, we, we we, know how to use your console better than you. We've reverse engineered your console. Yeah.
1: And, uh, Atari lost that or, or no, uh, uh, Activision had to pay Atari some kind of, uh, you know, licensing fee Mm -hmm. or some revenue split. They cut a deal. They cut a deal. Uh, And so, yeah, Activision was making Atari games that were better than Atari games. Pitfall. Pitfall's the best. But when it was, when that kind of world opened up, I mean, Atari was selling, Atari was dominating the market. Uh, This is kind of post-1979, after the crash. The new consoles that played multiple games Kind of everybody tried to get in on it, and um, Magnavox launched a new a new console called the Odyssey Two. Uh, Coleco came out with the Coleco Vision.
0: I remember Coleco Vision.
1: In, uh, Mattel came out with Intellivision. You had Intellivision, right? I did have Intellivision. And it had
0: better graphics, so I was very jealous of my Betamax Intellivision friends. It
1: did, although I always felt that the disc controller... I mean, I got such a blister on my thumb from that disc controller, and I really wanted was it a, a little, joystick. What was it? It was a rollerball? It, you had a handheld... Because Intellivision was trying to be slightly more than a video game console. It wanted to be also be this other thing. There were... Inte- there were uh there were games that were supposed to be educational and the controller had a keypad on it and then a disc that was kind of unlike any other controller it it wasn't it was touch sensitive you could go around you could push the disc down around in a circle and control your device in 360 degrees
0: but it's not like is, is, it's control your cursor is it like the I mean. top of a roll-on deodorant basically or it, is it it wasn't it's a ball. Flat, it's flat it's flat
1: mm, and so you weren't weird. rolling it you were just kind of pushing around the edge and it had around the edge of the disc there was a plastic rim that was aesthetically pleasing but you would
0: yeah i, I got into video games for the bevels
1: yeah you'd run your thumb around it and in the, mm. in the course of playing Star Wars uh, Death Star killer game, yeah, it just – it put a huge blister on my thumb. I wanted a 2600 because that's what had all the cool games. Yeah, the graphics were better on Intellivision. But but the numbers tell the story. Uh, the Odyssey 2 sold 2 million copies or 2, 2 million different consoles. I mean, all these were profitable. The ColecoVision sold 2 million. The Intellivision sold 3 million. But the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, over the course of its life, sold thirty million uh, separate consoles. Wow. So it was, you know, more successful by at you know by at least ten times, uh, up or ten to fifteen times better that performer than the other games. But it was really Activision that introduced the the whole universe of of a separate company selling games. And at this time, Warner brothers trying to, you know, they've got a hit on their hands with this Atari game, but Warner is not coming from a game mentality. They're coming from a, a corporate business structure mentality. The and they're like, York. they're like, Oh, we got to, you know, like let's get some games. Let's get as many games into this pipeline as we can cuz we can't lose. They're selling for 30 bucks a pop.
0: This is what we talked about in the Billy Jack entry, you yeah. know, like as soon as they as soon as the New York money guys realized how to maximize profits, that's all it became. Right.
1: And the market was suddenly flooded by innumerable other companies throwing every kind of terrible game at The Atari console and it was, it coined the phrase shovelware shovelware because they were basically just shoveling terrible, uh, terrible games at, at consumers volume volume, right? There were, um, there was actually a game put out by the dog food company Purina, was a, a, a game t- called Chase the Chuck Wagon. It was tied into their product, it was, I assume. It was if you if you uh if you send in proofs of purchase of Purina Dog Chow, they would send you at a certain number of proofs of purchase this incredible game, Chase the Chuck Wagon, where you would You, you remember know, the commercials a little tiny a oh, little tiny
0: covered wagon I, running under a counter for some I reason.
1: Loved the commercials.
0: The uh, um <laughs> It's the same thing you see with NFTs today, right? Companies that are terrified that they are missing the the hot new profit center. You know, yeah. that they'll be the last ones to adopt. So suddenly, you know, even though it's the dumbest thing, you know, every, every product's going to have to have a tie-in. And it was the same back then with video games. You yeah. know, Purian is like, well, we don't want to be the last one of our competitors to not get in on what the young people like. Turned out they were the only dog food company
1: that had a video game. Alpo's but- video game never released. If you remember the Activision game Kaboom. I do, the bomb-throwing guy. The bomb-throwing guy. The Kaboom, um, there were, I mean, pretty much every video game company came out with a version of Kaboom. There was one called Lost Luggage, where instead of a guy throwing bombs, it was uh, someone at an airport throwing bags. So it's just clones of existing games. Clones, so many clones. There was a game... Uh, that was branded along with the band Journey called oh. Journey Escape. Oh, I've seen the ad for this. Do you remember this? I, I saw the
0: magazine ad for Journey having a video game.
1: Yeah, there was also a television ad for uh, for Journey's video game that uh, was very popular on MTV at the time. Wow. Um, Journey was a huge band, and I think they figured, hey, we better get in on this video game thing. All of this peaked... In 1982, with uh, with video games absolutely – not just – because this is the era of console – this is the era, era of video game arcades as well. So it, by 1982, you could not throw a quarter in any direction without hitting video game as part of the culture. Um how how big an industry is it is it as profitable as uh it became a huge industry by uh by 1982 video games as an industry i mean i'm talking about just home console yeah. games uh by 1982 it was a 3.2 billion dollar business selling home video games the entire video game industry including Uh, every sort of tie into it, um, and all of the, all of the games themselves being sold separately from consoles and all of the arcade games was a $42 billion media business that had not existed 10 years prior uh, or not uh, hardly existed at all.
0: So, uh, it seems like that would be bigger than Hollywood, for example, uh, Total grosses, total domestic grosses of all 1982 movies, under $3 billion. So, yeah, so, it's an order of magnitude.
1: It's a, a massive, and I mean, you would have been, what, 10 years old about, or 9 or 10? Yeah. Um, you remember video games. That would have been a huge part of your... Elementary school life, right? Knowing that, knowing at least that they were there. Did your parents give you quarters? Ever,
0: uh, yeah, I mean, arcades less so. It was really more about consoles. You'd go over to a friend's, you know, you'd go over to a friend's house, and everyone would be playing Atari right. after school. You, you know, whoever had the new cartridge, um, less of an arcade scene. That was more like something you saw teens doing in movies. You Correct. Because we were too, you know, maybe before mom picked you up from the theater or the pizza party, she'd leave you a couple quarters. But, but I was just young enough to to feel like I missed it.
1: Yeah, and it was a huge part. I mean, I I was at that point able to walk home from school. I mean, I guess I, was, I always did that. But it was a thing where I could go to the Tasty Freeze on the way home from school and nobody, I mean, both my parents were at work, so nobody knew where I was. 80s baby. Too old to have a babysitter. I had a key to the house around my neck on a piece of red twine. And I would go to the Tasty Freeze. And I was not... Good enough at video games to make a quarter last all afternoon, right. But at the time you could watch other people play video games, and it was just as fun. I did that a lot, yeah, actually. I mean it's it's today it's just twitch, but we had it too. Yeah, there was a kid that you know wore his hat his baseball hat backwards and could play defender on one quarter for two hours and he had ten kids standing around looking over his shoulder at the game
0: i also had performance anxiety like i'd watch my friend play zaxon who was really good at zaxon and he'd be like okay your turn i'd be like mm, no, no I'm,
1: I'm, I'm okay i'm gonna get i'm gonna look like a dummy let me go get nachos um so the market at this point everybody trying to get into it in 1982 there were in in june of 82 at a at a conference um like a like a Consumer Electronics con- Conference. There were hundred games available for video games. By December of that same year, there were four hundred games and they're, available, and they're bad. And most of the new ones were bad. Only ten percent of the games represented seventy-five percent of sales. But people were feeling uh, people were feeling increasingly ripped off. And Atari, yeah, I mean, once you've caught the chuck wagon five or six times, I mean, exactly. Atari was also kind of because they were being run at this point by by suits who didn't have the vibe and Activision was kind of schooling them in video game design. Atari uh, and, and all along Atari was licensing games as kind of I mean, if you think about some of the first games like Asteroids or Space Invaders, you know, those were licensed from other companies, Space Invaders. Licensed from Japan, um, and it was Taito like, or something from Taito. It was a it was a killer app. Another company that you might think was uh, a Japanese company and was in its origin story is the company Sega. But Sega was purchased in 1969 by Golf and Western, <laughs> who also made Harley <laughs> Davidson motorcycles and everything else. And uh, Gulf and Western also owned Bally and Midway. They had a, they had an arcade wing. Right. And Bally and Midway were part, I mean, if you think about Bally, they ended up owning a bunch of casinos. Like there was mm, a right. ma- massive mafia connection with those things. But Midway was making a lot of the console games, or I'm sorry, I keep using console to mean whatever that standalone arcade, arcade. arcade game. That's what I'm trying to say. Arcade game. So in eighty two, all of these companies are predicting that the computer, uh, the ho- the home console market, is going to be the biggest thing ever in- for Christmas eighty two, and they overproduce the number of consoles and cartridges by a massive amount. There are way more consoles and cartridges, most of them of terrible games, than they could possibly sell.
0: I mean, they got a saturation problem at this point, too. Everybody's got one. Sure, you could upgrade to... Is this when they unveiled the 800? I can't remember.
1: Atari 400 and 800 came out uh, during this period. Also, Atari made the the classic error of licensing... Uh, licensing a couple of games, Pac-Man and famously E.T. the extraterrestrial, Mm. but the in-house Atari game designers, uh, ported those games over or, or in the case of E.T. wrote it in a rush and they were awful. It was a terrible version of Pac-Man and, uh, and the E.T. extraterrestrial game. Was sort of unplayably bad, and
0: it was all just top down. It was like we need to have a game tied into ET or Pac Man. It doesn't matter if they're good iterations of either.
1: And the licensing fee of ET, the extraterrestrial, they paid you know tens of millions of dollars for the rights to this the uh, game based on the hottest movie of the of the year, and then they made a they made a a, a really piss poor game out of it. But also in I mean, this at the time, ET was the biggest box office hit in history. It was massive, and you could see where it would be a great game. Yep. I mean, you've got been. Pac-Man is going around eating dots. Why couldn't ET go so around? So you've got
0: crying kids at Christmas.
1: Yeah, and ET could have been going around eating Reese's pieces yeah. and the tie-ins.
0: There you go. Oh my God, it would have made billions. But oh, I got this wrong by the way. It was the 5200 that that was their next generation console that came out in '82.
1: Right. So the 400 and the, the and the 800 were they a, were their
0: Apple II alike Atari's
1: right? entrance into the into the home computing game, yeah. and that was another problem. At this point. Home computers started to be, uh, like the IBM 5150 was massively expensive. It was $1,500 in a time when that was almost $5,000 mm-hmm. in modern money. And my mom bought one cause she was in computers. So in 81, I had a 5150 and the games on it were terrible. Uh, but it could also, I mean, it was sold initially. Remember as, uh, it wasn't just word processing you could do. It was home accounting. Yeah, you do your taxes. That was such a huge part of how they sold those. Isn't that things. crazy? Oh, it's going to pay for itself with your you tax. Know, you know what parents loved in the early eighties yeah. was making their taxes easier. That's right. Your home accounting. It's there's a whole set of programs. Here's for your it. budget. And I remember, I remember having that stuff on the computer and not even having any idea what accounting even was. <laughs> what was I? I couldn't use that, but I loved, I loved having a computer and doing stuff on it, and the idea of games. And you could see why this stunted the next generation
0: consoles, because the family that's thinking about upgrading their console is going to think, well, a computer will do games and it'll do our budget, and they say it can help with junior
1: school project. And and all of that was coming online right about this time. the The, the game companies were kind of, in some cases, unwittingly, undercutting their own market by also coming out with personal computers that initially, you know, the games kind of weren't maybe as good, but yeah, when it's comes time for mom and dad at Christmas time to choose between a, a a thing that plays this terrible ET, the extraterrestrial game or something that can do your home accounting, uh, they're going to pick the thing.
0: I think a lot of the other, the unlicensed third-party games were also kind of sleazy, right? Like there was actually a level of kind of I, 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 naughty, porny, and I only heard about this in hindsight, that was really kind of diluting the value of the stuff because, you know, Atari puts out 10 decent cartridges that year and Activision puts out five good ones and then there's 75 third-party
1: ones that are terrible and some are R-rated. Are some of them worse than terrible. You know, there were there were, there were were a lot of games that only had three levels, and then they would sell you a, you know, there was a game that was like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a cookie that's hungry, and then the next one is like, it's a ninja that wants to kill uh, bad guys, and then the next one was like, it's a kangaroo, and it was the, the same, same game. It just had... They're
0: going back to the Magnavox color forms.
1: Yeah, it just, it was, it was, uh, they, they just changed the change the shape of the little guy's head for whatever reason kids can always smell a ripoff too well in 1983 it was like a stock market crash the market for video games plummeted what's the plummeted to the tune of uh
0: where did we start again what did you say how many billion
1: in 82 It was a $42 billion overall market in 82 Mm -hmm. uh, that dropped to 14, from 42 to 14 billion by 1985. And that includes, that's everything in video games. Um, I think in home console business, the revenue went from 3.2 billion in 83 To 100 million in 85.
0: Isn't that just unprecedented? Like, can you think of anything losing uh, 97% of its value in
1: uh, a matter of a year or two? I mean, only stocks, only, uh, I mean, I think Bitcoin does it every other week. But
0: no industry, right? Like, you know, a, a single discredited, you know, single Enron maybe, but like... Like even buggy whips took longer than
1: that. (laughs) Even typewriter, you know, like
0: nothing, nothing collapses to
1: 3% of its former value in a matter of a year or two. And it was so profound. I mean, Atari in that year lost $356 million. They laid off 3000 people. Uh, Magnavox got completely out of the video game business famously and i think there's there's a documentary about this that kind of made the rounds on the internet uh, a few years ago in 2014 atari had uh, the the legend was 1 million copies of et the extraterrestrial just sitting in warehouses they it was just sitting in warehouses and they took them out to the desert by Almagordo, new mexico and buried 1 million video games in the desert you said it was a legend, but isn't this isn't this true? Well, so for years this was the legend, and copies of ET the Extraterrestrial were, you know, developing a kind of cult following or a cult, you know, the idea that it was a collectible, just like the Edsel. And in 2014, uh, some documentary filmmakers got permission to go out and dig up the reputed one million ET the Extraterrestrial games. You don't want to be digging up 20th century garbage in Alamogordo. I mean. <laughs> I know it could be a lot of things, Uh, but they dug it up and it turned out they estimated from what they they found that the the 1 million games was a total myth. Mm. It was really only (laughs) 728,000 ET, the extraterrestrials. But they really got landfilled? They really found them, not landfilled, found them in a hole. Dug oh. specifically for them, they didn't throw them in the garbage. They just
0: bought cheap land somewhere and yeah. put it there. Yeah, they dug a hole. Do you, have to get, do you have to get, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, do you have to get like EPA permission to dump 700,000 video games in a hole? You would
1: today, but in 1983, think you could get away with it. Uh, and so for a few years, there were, there basically was no market for video games, and not only that, but Uh, Home consoles, the idea of a video game was anathema.
0: And some of the energy had gone to home computers, but... um,
1: A lot of it had.
0: But, you know, in in the toy sector, they would be like, yeah, toys are faddish. You know, it's G.I. Joe's one Christmas, and then it's not. It's Cabbage Patch Kids one Christmas, and then it's not. But
1: this is a whole entertainment sector that just went away. Went away, and Coleco was able to survive because they were so diversified, building swimming pools and whatnot, but also in 1982, Coleco came out with Cabbage Patch Kids. Yeah. Well, so they were briefly, they briefly staved off yeah. disaster. right, they... they uh, but they, then Cabbage Patch Kids crashed. They, they scooted along. Coleco also had, a, had kind of a, a, the good sense in 1982 that Coleco Vision cartridges also could play on 2600s wow. like they were all they also had they could you know pour you didn't it have over. to get their less
0: successful proprietary console.
1: coleco made a tried to make a personal computer in 1983 uh called the coleco atom do you remember this adam right yeah uh yeah i've never seen one they bought scrabble they really uh they really you know when yeah. when cabbage patch kids also crashed uh coleco kind of Struggled along, but they ended up filing for Chapter 11 in 1988, and Coleco didn't make it. Uh, Magnavox, of course, you haven't been to a Magnavox dealership in a long time. Don't tell me what I haven't done.
0: (laughs) When did, does Magnavox still exist as a brand of someone else? I don't even know.
1: Yeah, Magnavox is still a company, although it's gone through several parent companies. Um, They they still make televisions, and...
0: Yeah, if I go on Amazon, here's a... Here's a collective remote control they make. Here's yeah, they some make earbuds. boom boxes. Here's but I, a little stereo.
1: I think Magnavox for a while got into making displays for the for the military. So they became a. Um, they kind of had that military contractor business. They got money coming in. Well, I mean that explains
0: why their consumer goods looks like nothing you would buy if you were under seventy
1: five. <laughs> like here's
0: a little flip up TV that you can put a DVD in. That um you know you, I have not seen in a store in twenty years. Um,
1: Coleco actually had a, had a sort of more varied life throughout this process because Coleco, if you recall, owned the electronic quarterback. So Coleco was the first company to come up with the handheld video game console. You, you know, before, electronic quarter before
0: Game Boy. They the very first one was Coleco, huh?
1: And then Coleco had those little folder, fold, foldable video game consoles that had Donkey Kong, the little handheld yeah. mini arcades. The little sprites would appear, yep. boop. Yeah, and i i uh, I still have i have an original Donkey Kong Coleco flip tablet thing. So Coleco was kind of diversified, uh, but of course uh, didn't make it through the through the the later end of the crash. In fact, hardly anybody did. Uh, there were a lot of personal computers that were also kind of trying to be game consoles, the Commodore 64, the TI 99, um, and a lot of this kind of got kind of swept up in the the connection of home console, home computer home video game it was all regarded as a massive fad
0: and it seemed inevitable that consoles were done from yeah. now on you would play video games at home on your apple or your commodore or whatever and this or or in the arcade and no one else will ever buy a dedicated gaming console at home is uh, that what happened needle, well, needle
1: scratch sound our arcade Uh, arcade video games also really took on a reputation as a place where teens went and smoked marijuana and got into trouble and, you know, went and making out behind the dumpsters. And so parents didn't want, you know, arcades became, uh, so they were struggling too. yeah, disreputable places. And it was not Chuck E. Cheese though. No, 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 still... A wonderful family get Even together. today, Chuck E. Cheese remains nothing, like... Nothing
0: seamy at all. <laughs> like
1: a church for the young.
0: The carpets are, n- are not gross at all. They're clean. No
1: surfaces are sticky. It's amazing in there. What was interesting was a lot of this was a United States problem. Mm. Because a lot of these companies, although we think of them all being from Japan, they were American companies. Sega was although it originally a Japanese company um, uh, owned by an American conglomerate, Sega USA, a separate company, uh, Atari Activision Magnavox. I mean, Commodore, they were all American companies and this was an American Christmas of 82
0: glut. Does that mean other countries never had the big console adoption or they never saw it collapse?
1: When, uh when it all happened the the video game crash of 1983 in japan is known as the atari crash uh, uh but globally video game consoles continued to sell um and not not saturation yet probably in a lot of those markets exactly and and still uh you know the home computer would have although the price of those computers those that first run of home computer uh, it had become a lost leader. People were selling it for, oh, oh there she goes again. Uh, yeah, like were, th-
0: you get the Commodore for a hundred bucks on sale. At Toys right. and R Us or something. That's right.
1: And so there was that, that similar problem of like a sense of them not being worth anything, a sense of there being, you know, too many of them and, and sold too cheaply. They were remaindered just trying to get them off the shelves. Um, but globally that wasn't true. There was still a market. And in 1988 a company no less than Nintendo. Uh, I've heard of them. A Japanese company. They
0: decided to put a mustache on a plumber they, and the rest was history.
1: They did. They had a they had a, a product in like a, a Japan in Japan their home market uh NES Nintendo NES was called the Famicom. <laughs>
0: presumably like family com- fam- oh, wait well, we can't say it family you know what yeah
1: family computer computer and it actually came out in 1983 but uh, you know didn't didn't suffer the fate of mm. the Atari 2600 but also was a home market product
0: it was for the japanese domestic product yes it.
1: and in 85 it was redesigned and released in america as the NES and it had some uh it had some pretty cool games. Um if you remember Super Mario Brothers, oh baby, uh The Legend of Zelda had came it. a little bit had it. uh later. Tech Mobile, <laughs> um uh, Metroid. <laughs> and so And
0: I was genuinely surprised, I remember, that that my friends were starting to have NAS and my parents got one for my brother, and I was like I think I had been the exact right age to think, nope, consoles are done. That part of my childhood is over. Why Why do we have this? Like, I was the exact right age to think that the Atari Shock was the new state of affairs, well, even and, though it was
1: only three years. And crucially, Nintendo, when they redesigned it uh, to interdu- reintroduce it to the American market, they made it look like a VCR. Mm. They made it look like a home um, entertainment device because VCRs, of course, were being universally adopted at this point. Everybody wanted a VCR. And so rather than looking like a little space age game, they tried to look like a piece of furniture, you know, or a, or a, uh, like a TV top. Yeah. It was, it was a little box, like yeah, your box. cable box
0: or your, or your tuner or whatever.
1: Exactly. Um, and I was the same as you, I did not make the transition to NES because it came out, When I was a junior in high school and I'd been into video games from the age 10 or, you know, 9 or 10 and I'd played them all the way through junior high and through the first half of high school and I'd watched them be called a fad and I'd... You were like, yep, these were lame. Yeah, I'd had a computer and the computer kind of was fun as a typewriter, but it couldn't really do anything.
0: That's true. I was still playing a ton of video games, but on our... um Atari ST, like our Amiga-alike computer that we had. And my brother would play these console games, and I was just kind of mystified.
1: Yeah, it just didn't... It came uh, with a light gun, though. It came with a light gun. <laughs> you gotta shoot those ducks. But it didn't translate to me, and I remember uh, a little bit later on realizing that people, that the NES was everywhere. People had these in their homes, and, and I felt like, wow, that's so weird that people are playing these dumb, like hop over a log and try and grab coins like what why is this why are kids so dumb i think is what in I my day we had yar's <laughs> revenge and we liked it but by 1988 uh video games were again a two and a half billion dollar industry
0: so there's just this three-year crater caused by maybe a hundred crappy games like games so bad they killed what was the potential for a hundred billion dollar industry
1: for yeah. three years? For three whole years? Can you and imagine? Then Nintendo kind of sneaks back in to uh, to the marketplace, and in '88 controlled seventy percent of the video game
0: market. It would be like if for, a f- for like three years in the '40s or '50s, like a bunch of dumb Mr. Moto movies came out, and everyone in America was like, "Nope, we hate the movies." And for three years, there was essentially no movies. No movies. And then somebody was like, you know what we should do? Is we should should make uh, Rebel Without a Cause or something. And then everyone's like,
1: ah, the movies are back. Well, Or that, you know, like we've been making movies the whole time. Maybe if we just repackaged them as a thing. And so Nintendo, of course, uh, taking over the world, all of a sudden a scrappy little upstart by the name of Sega Mm. comes out with the game Sonic the Hedgehog and we were back off to the races. They needed a Mario. They and needed
0: a little cartoon uh, figurehead.
1: All of a sudden this company that had been owned by Gulf and Western and had, uh, you know, was basically associated with, with uh, Midway pinball games was, you know, back into the video game market. But that, at that point it became almost entirely a Japanese form of media
0: and it's never ended since then right it's been essentially what would you say 85 so it's been like almost 40 consecutive years of new consoles appearing and exciting tons of interest in the youth and i think i'm still kind of checked out from it because of those my kids will be like Okay, but we've got to get an Xbox and a Wii, and I'm like, well, I don't know. Do, what, do we? What are they though? And we've got to get a PlayStation. And we, well, I don't. But you I, have a computer. I know. And I'm just thinking, no, it's 80. To me, it'll always be 82 through 85. Yeah. Where it's a a dumb extra thing that that will go away if you don't if you if you uh, if you just delay the kids long enough.
1: Yeah, I sit down and play Joust on my phone <laughs> and wonder. You know, the first time I ever saw Grand Theft Auto, I was like. Well this game's not very socially responsible. They're stealing cars. <laughs> that's a little that's a little disrespectful. Yeah. He- heck, no you can't have one of these. You know, I'm 28 years old.
0: Do you have a do you have kids who have ever wanted a console?
1: No. My daughter in fact uh believes, I mean, she really has a very gendered take on video games. She says boys are video gamers
0: and that's kind of aggressive if a boy says it but maybe if she says it like yas queen slay i'm not going to waste my time with video games like the boys i'm going
1: to be a laboratory research scientist she means it that they are kind of brain dead that she means it that that they can't talk about anything else that they don't read books they have no information they're just boring because all they talk about and think about is video games.
0: This is not limited to console gaming, of course, and it's something I wonder as an old, but I mean, I guess it doesn't matter if every if if every if that's mass culture and every single person is talking about video games boringly
1: to you yeah. and me, then then it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and she has. They're all on the same page. There are a couple of girls in her class that she says, oh, and they're gamers too. And and it couldn't be more dismissive. And, because, all the, and all the guys are like, yeah, finally a cool gamer girl. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what our culture has been. Saying for the last fifteen years, like, no, there should be cool gamer girls too. I'm a gamer girl. And my my daughter's like, No, girls should be reading books and able to talk about things. (laughs) Boys are a lost cause.
0: It's a funny idea. It's almost back to some Jane Austen time where it's like, you know what's actually feminist is if girls would take up cooking, crocheting, and reading. (laughs) And reading And playing the piano.
1: Yeah, telling stories and able to sing. Because
0: the guys are all wasting time. The girls should be in the parlor. (laughs) And that concludes the video game crash of 1983. Entry 1394.GE4130. Certificate number 24180 in the Omnibus. Now, speaking of uh, computer things that crash and will never come back, uh, social media. We are uh, archived on uh, whatever social media platforms survive in your time at omnibus project individually at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick, uh, there was a delightful futurelings group, um, where, uh, those of you, uh, millennial and younger can make fun of our attitude toward console gaming. That's, that's pretty much what it's going to be for. I predict for the next week after this comes out, uh, you could send us physical media, believe it or not, the postal service had not yet collapsed in the great uh, walkout of 2031. So you could send those to PO box 55744 shoreline, Washington 98155. Let me see what we have here. I was just at the mail today. This is a postcard uh, that our listener, Kathy and her family sent us from, Salvation Mountain at whatever oh, that, uh, in the, uh, that sea the Squatters in... place, cement
1: beds in the Salton Sea. Yeah, we are to- we were talking about uh, oh, uh, Salvation Mountain by the Slab.
0: Yes, we would not have known to visit Slab City if it weren't for Omnibus. It's amazing. Wow, we are changing no, family kidding. road trips. They actually went because they heard the Omnibus. That's let's, great. Let's make a complete list of places you should visit because we mentioned the Omnibus and a complete list of places you should not visit.
1: Futurelings, if you can... Uh, do that work for us and compile a list of all the places ever mentioned on Omnibus and rate them in order. <laughs> we can uh, we can actually have a like an Omnibus tour. Maybe it could be like Atlas Obscura. For example, a big hole full of ET uh, video game consoles in Alamogordo. Do not visit. I don't know. Do not attempt. I wonder if they covered it back over. I didn't watch the documentary. Have they covered back over, or if they just left it open to the sky, they just keep pouring new video games in there. This is I think
0: you're going to enjoy this. Brian from Tennessee is bribing us never to make any show with a sexual subject again here's Here's a list of shows not approved by Brian The Usik. Goat glands. Wait a minute. We've done all these. Shows Naked already. came the stranger. Murgency. These are examples of shows we should not. Uh, I see. We should, should not repeat. I guess. should not have done. Avoid the. Take whatever they have in common, or any other shows that have anything to do with genitalia. Misspelled. Sorry, Brian. Or or any topic that can induce Ken to say the word dong hmm. or penis. Hmm. I mean, you just wrote me a letter with the both those words that you knew, Brian, that I was going to read on
1: air. Now, ha- did that letter come before or after we did the Merkin episode? It's this post Merkin.
0: I'm trying to see if there's any, have we done anything recently. Omnibus, are you know? COVID made Omnibus 150 percent less horny. I think. I feel like oh, it- we did that. We did Jesus's circumcision,
1: right? Again, you probably said dong and penis a few I times. I doubt it,
0: because that's our lord. I don't think I would have. Yeah, that's true. But Honestly. you love saying dong. Uh, well, that's what Brian thinks. But he's bribing us with 200 trillion Zimbabwean <sighs> notes. I've always wanted to
1: see one of those in my
0: hand. But l- are these actually the legal... Because t- they're printed on this weird uh, silver foil. They are
1: printed on foil. Is,
0: do you think Zimbabwe did this? Or is this like a uh, an American collector's
1: item? No, I think Zimbabwe did this. I think this makes it very hard to... Looks, copy in a color copy. It looks right? like
0: it should be on the cover of National Geographic in like
1: does, in the late '80s because it has that shimmery. Yeah, like guess guess what? But if you folded this to put it in your wallet, would it wouldn't it crack it in right. half?
0: Like, what do you? Maybe the idea is you roll it up like you're like you're some kind of a like you're running a numbers game. Listen to that. Like even rolled up, it
1: doesn't really roll that well. It sound it sounds like a flexi disc, which I'll probably do as a omnibus soon. Nope.
0: Uh, Brian also does not want me to say the word
1: flexi. Um, at how about moist? How does he feel about moist? What was the word you didn't like last week? Spume. Oh, spume. Do you think Brian doesn't like the word spume? Tell you what, replace every instance where you would say dong with the word spume. What about spume in other words? Like, can I say spumoni? Mm-hmm. See, these are the
0: kind of things. Brian, you're going to have to. Um, you can say spumoni. You're going to have to write us back. We have follow up.
1: Wow, we should questions. do a, a show on spumoni. Because it's so terrible,
0: <laughs> I want to. I kind of want to do a show about Neapolitan ice cream for the same reason.
1: Oh well, let's just they could be together. We they're... should do a show
0: about things you liked when you were that you begged your parents for when you were six, and then it turned out your parents were right, and they're kind of <laughs> disgusting.
1: My daughter does that all the time. She's like, "Oh, there's nothing better than rocky road," and I'm like, "There's nothing worse than rocky road."
0: What's wrong? What's your view of the rocky road? The uh, marshmallows. the marshmallows. I
1: don't want marshmallows.
0: Yeah, marshmallow. I, it's but at least there's a, a bunch of textures. It's like bubble tea. I don't want yeah. bubbles in my tea. Do you? My, my brother would always order bu- bubble gum ice cream. Don't
1: want it as a kid, and it's it's just a mistake. I don't want ice cream that tastes like cake, although I do want deodorant that smells like cake.
0: As long as well, if if they're sponsoring the show, we do. We want cupcakes in our armpits. Um, so thank you for sending that along. Uh, you can also uh, the best way to support the show is not to complain about when John does shows about walrus penises. Or as scientists
1: say, walrus dongs. How many of those sh- uh, sex shows were by me, and how many were by you? One,
0: two, three. Here are you. I think goat glands was me. So wait,
1: three are me, and only one is you. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. I think it should be more. Did I'm, that include- I'm actually
0: surprised. Any of mine? Like goat glands is actually not. Uh, is not a sexy show at all. No, it's just it was a it was a impotence drug. It has the word. It's glands. It's the opposite. Of, yeah, in Tennessee, <laughs> if you say the word glands, the school board fires you. <laughs> The best way to support the show is not to complain about glands. Uh, of course, it's to go to patreon.com slash Project. But honestly, if you support the show, you're entitled. You know, you're, you're like a stockholder, and you can come to the meetings and get up to the mic and put your mouth on the mic and be like, uh, uh, I don't think there should be any glands on us anymore. <laughs> and, and we have to listen because you're uh, a Patreon supporter. And in fact at one of the higher levels of Patreon support, you can suggest a topic for a show. The reason the the long omission of video games nominous was rectified by James, who thought we should do a show either about uh, the Satari crash or the Donkey Kong uh, sleazy guy.
1: Yeah, Kong. Oh,
0: and, and we chose...
1: Dong Kong. Yeah, we said the word dong again. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. Uh, yeah, the video game crash of 1983, we chose it because it's a... Uh, it's, uh, Generation X stroker, and also, uh, we you know, we both lived through it in a way. Thank you for your support, James. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come, and we wish you many goods and cheese. <laughs> I always forget the goods and cheese. <laughs> if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word, but if providence allows. We hope you come see us often and that we'll be back with you soon for another entry in the opera.